As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. And welcome to another unbelievable classic replay. I'm Ruth Jackson, and this week we're delving back into the archives to bring you a discussion on the question Is God dead? It's a conversation on faith, culture, and the modern world. Where are the next generation turning to in an increasingly post Christian society? So, without further ado, let's join our guests for today's classic replay. Thank you very much. That's- That is a great welcome. Thank you so much. Well, welcome to tonight's big conversation filmed live here in uh, Costa Mesa, California. Uh, The big conversation is produced by Premier Christian Radio in partnership with the Templeton Religion Trust. And it's a series of video discussions between thinkers across the religious spectrum, looking at some of the biggest questions in life. Who are we? What's it all about? Uh, Looking at science, faith, philosophy, what it means to be human. Uh, I'm delighted to say that uh, tonight we're going to be uh, sitting down and hearing from two people that I've really been looking forward to bringing into conversation together. We're going to be looking at the question of, uh, is God dead? It's a conversation on faith, culture, and the modern world. Where are the next generation turning to in an increasingly post-Christian society? Is God dead, as Nietzsche once declared? Or is there space for a renaissance of religious belief in the modern world? Uh, John Lennox, who is here on my left, is Emeritus Professor. Yeah, give him a round of applause. (laughs) Just to give a brief intro, John is Emeritus Professor of Mathematics and the Philosophy of Science at Oxford University. He's a leading Christian thinker, and he's engaged many of the world's leading atheist voices as well. His latest book is called Can Science Explain Everything? And it is available as well after. Um, Dave Rubin is my other guest. Let's have a round of applause for Dave. Now, Dave hosts The Rubin Report. It's an online talk show that reaches millions of people every week. Um, uh, Dave is going to be telling us about his religious background and and where he's at now. So I won't sort of label him at this point, but he regularly hosts (laughs) conversations with leading cultural and religious thinkers on his show. So I'm really looking forward to what he's going to be bringing to this conversation today. Uh, He has a new book out. It's available for pre-order. Don't Burn This Book is the title. Thinking for yourself in an age of unreason. So I do recommend you go and get that if you can on pre-order as well. Uh, so one more time, just please give a, a warm round of applause to my guests, John Lennox and David. Well, welcome, gentlemen, both uh, to tonight's discussion. I'm really looking forward to what we're going to be covering tonight because... I've had you on the show before, John, and very often I've put you in conversation with maybe a quite firm atheist, someone like a a Dawkins or an Atkins or a Michael Roos. Um, But I think tonight's going to be a little bit different because I'm really looking forward to hearing your story, Dave. We haven't met before. In fact, tonight was the first time. Um, But I've watched your stuff and I've seen some of the people that you've increasingly been talking to and been influenced yourself. And, And it'll be fascinating to hear where you're at now in terms of both the cultural and religious aspects of your worldview. Well, I've never had anyone give me an intro and say, we'll label him later. 
<laughs> so I'm feeling really undue pressure right now. And I'm the only one here from SoCal, so <laughs> let's see what happens. Well, um, whatever those labels may be, um, I, I'm really looking forward to, to what, what you're going to bring to us tonight. Perhaps we'll, we'll start with you first of all, Dave. Tell us a little bit about who you are growing up. I know that you came from a pretty religious family. Um, so do you want to tell a little bit about that and where you found yourself as you grew up and as regards sort of uh, faith and so on? Sure. First off, I, I just want to say what a pleasure it is to be here. You know, I'm usually on the other side of the interview. <laughs> yeah. And the reason I'm particularly excited about tonight is that I don't talk about this sort of thing from a personal perspective that often. You know, I've sat down with tons of atheists, you know, Sam Harris and Michael Shermer and Peter Bogosian and that whole crew, and I've talked to plenty of people uh, of faith like Bishop Barron and Rabbi Wolpe and plenty of other people that come from, from different political perspectives and personal perspectives. Um, and I, I always find that I go into each interview with, with no agenda other than hearing their thoughts and, and seeing how that shakes out around my worldview. That being said, I'm excited to be here because I can sort of tell you a little bit more yeah, about, about where I come from and sort of where I'm at. So I grew up in a conservative Jewish household in New York. Um, we kept kosher, we did uh, Shabbat on Friday nights, all, all the big holidays. Um, but there was a strong secular belief within that. And as I was telling you sort of backstage, um, you know, there's, a, there's an interesting piece related to Judaism that I think is a little different than other religions in that the ethnic tie to it, at least in a modern way, is for most Jews more important than the religious nature of it specifically, let's say belief specifically, uh, because John, as we were talking about, there are many, many Jews, especially in, in sciences and in mathematics, that aren't believers per se, but have a real cultural affinity. And I would say that that's sort of where I'm at. Um, or at least where I've been over the last couple of years. I actually am now in the last few years, and this has to do uh, a lot with being on tour with Jordan Peterson for a year. Uh, Jordan and I did about 110 stops in, in one calendar year in about 20 countries. It was pretty amazing. And, and when you spend that kind of time listening to a, a true innovative thinker, I mean, truly the guy that I think is, is the world's most important public philosopher, let's say, um, you know, talking about his biblical lectures and talking about his perspective on life and that there has to be a bedrock of something that is real and true outside of us. And then how he relates that through the, the biblical stories. Um, it moved me. It moved me over the course of, of the year that we did this together. So I would say I'm, I'm secular basically in my life, but I definitely in the last year have found that there has to be something outside of us. The rest of this makes no sense. I mean, the, the part, very briefly, the part that you know, I'm really known for is the, is the political part and that I was a lefty and, and the difference between you leftism. You kind of had a political conversion. I had a, right, so yeah. I'm, I'm usually much more comfortable talking about my yeah. political conversion <laughs> than, than, a, than a religious one. Um, but, but I would say this, that consistent with me talking about sort of what's happened with the postmodern left, with mm. the progressives, and we see this now, where there's sort of nothing that's empirically true. And any, any given day, you can feel anything about any particular topic. Um, there's a reason for that. And the reason is they've disconnected everything. Their whole worldview is disconnected to anything that came before them. So that, that could be God or a religious set of ideas or something like that. So I'm really, really fascinated by that at the moment. And it's, it's changing how I live my life. I, I just did, it was Yom Kippur, which is the holiest day in Judaism. I was at a service that was actually at a church in, in Pasadena in Los Angeles, hosted by, by Dennis Prager, that I'm sure many of you guys know about. Uh, Dennis Prager, who many of you know. So uh, I'm sort of, I'm, I would say I'm in it the way you guys are all in it. Well, trying to find some truth in, in the I'll, madness. I'll be interested to tease that out a, a little more in due course. I mean, one, one thing I did notice is I, I have seen just watching some of your videos that there's definitely been a progression in your thinking on this. And, and probably if you go back a few years, I think you had said along the lines of you probably thought of yourself as an atheist, but evidently that's not quite the case anymore. Well, I had a bunch of 
atheists, high profile atheists on the show mm. in a row, yeah. uh, starting with Sam Harris, who I, I admire, and he's a good friend of mine, uh, and Michael Shermer and Peter Bogosian. And I really love the intellectual side of that. I, I really, really do love it. And that's not at the exclusion of anything else, actually. Um, but what I found was that I had had a series of atheists on in a row, and then people online just kept, kept saying that I was an atheist. Right. And, and then I sort of just said it one day without, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't mean anything to me sort of right. one way or another. It was almost, it just sort of came, it just sort of came out of my mouth one day. And then uh, two years ago, you know, I do this off the grid August thing where I, I literally lock my phone in a safe and I don't look at any news or television. I am completely offline and I, I really disappear and I try to let my brain reset. And, and two years ago when I did it, um, one of the thoughts that I kept having sort of in my, in my piece was that I'm not an atheist. And I came back and I said it in a very casual way. On, I just did this live stream where I just sort of said it very flippantly that I just don't like the word atheist. It doesn't, it doesn't fit what I believe. I do believe right. in something else, even if I can't completely articulate what it is. I think Jordan has gone a long way to right. articulate yeah. the type of thing that I believe in. Um, and I got a lot, of, a lot of hate for that one um, right. because, you know, the atheists, they don't like a converted person either. So, <laughs> you know, you got to watch out for that too. So, you know, we, we all have our own trappings, but what I'm most interested in um, is, is talking to people from all walks of life and figuring out what the common stuff is. And what I like to frame that around is a conversation about freedom and how do we, how do we limit government well, so we can all believe what we want to believe and think what we want to think and... and be part of a society that's pluralistic and, and decent for all of us. John, let's have a bit of an introduction to you for those who aren't familiar with you. Um, tell us about your own uh, faith journey up to this point. Um, you now obviously speak to many people all over the world about Christianity, but, but where did it all begin for you? It began for me, and let me say as well how delighted I am to be back in Costa Mesa. And I've enjoyed in the past some marvelous shows with Justin, and I'm just fascinated by what's going to happen in the conversation tonight. But I grew up in Northern Ireland, which isn't always the best start to uh, <laughs> discuss religion, because it was a divided community and there was a lot of terrorism that was connected in a very complex way to Christianity of both versions, Protestant and Catholic. But the important thing was that my parents were very unusual for that kind of cultural context. They were Christian, convinced Christians, but they weren't sectarian. And that was very unusual. My father had a small business. We lived in a small town, 15,000 or so. And he tried to employ people from both sides of the community. Now, why did he do that? I once asked him, I said, Dad, it's so risky. And he was bombed for doing this. My brother nearly lost his life. And he said, look, he said, I believe that every person, whatever they believe, is of infinite value because they're made in the image of God, going back to the Hebrew scriptures. And therefore, I will employ across the community. And that has stuck with me. And it's been very important when you're discussing, as I often do, with people that do not share my worldview. That always comes to my mind. Here's a person in front of me, and it relates to what you were saying about freedom. I would connect with freedom value. That here's something outside of my parents that gave every human being dignity and value. That was point number one. The second thing was that they allowed me to think. Now, Northern Ireland's often associated with religious bigotry, extreme fundamentalism, all this kind of thing. And my parents were not highly educated, but they really gave me space. So my first encounter with Christianity was not mind-closing, it was mind-expanding. And I remember, uh, when I was about 13, my father came along, he says, here's a book you need to read. It was Marx's Das Kapital. I said, Dad, have you read it? He said, no. <laughs> <laughs> so why should I read it? You need to know what other people think. 
I never forget that. It was set a compass bearing. The third point is their Christianity was credible, morally credible. They actually lived what they believed. So in that sense, I had a hugely privileged background that didn't compress me into a narrow-minded, bigoted person. And it was noticeable when I went to Cambridge in 1962, not 1862. I know I look old, but... When I went to Cambridge in 1962, many of my contemporaries from Ireland, the moment they got out of the country, that was the end of any Christianity. Because they'd never made it their own. They'd never thought about it. But I'd been encouraged to think about it. And that sort of set the, the compass bearing. There's one further yeah, point that on. really shaped my life. I was challenged in Cambridge very early on by a student at table at night. And he said, asked, do you believe in God? And then he said, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I shouldn't have asked you that. You're Irish. <laughs> All you Irish believe in God and you fight about it. Now, I'd heard that many times, but somehow it was different. And I thought, gosh, yes, you know, I've never really met atheists. You know, in Ireland, people divide into Protestant atheists and Catholic atheists. <laughs> but they're, they're not really real atheists. So I thought, what I'm going to do is to start today and befriend people, befriend them. That's important. That do not share my worldview. And I've spent my whole life doing it. So that's, that yeah, really sets yeah, the, yeah. The, the scene, I think. So Nietzsche famously declared God is dead. Now, he may have been a bit premature in that, but maybe he's finally, you know, his thoughts are coming true in 21st century West because we are living in an increasingly post-Christian age, people say. Increasingly, the number of people who tick the census box that says none, no religious affiliation is going up and so on. I mean, you're, you're engaging with this kind of demographic all the time on your show, Dave. Um, what's your feeling? Do you, do you feel like um, people are genuinely less religious now? To what extent are the, some of those friends that you made early on in your show, people like Sam Harris and another well-known atheist, responsible for people moving away from you know, the religious bearings that, that they once had? So obviously, I, I don't want to speak for, for Sam or any of those guys. Uh, what I have found in, in the conversations that I've had with non-believers and with believers is that at a micro level, you can be a non-believer and be absolutely moral and decent and good and a, and a productive member of society and all of those things, as I believe those couple people that I mentioned are. Uh, what I think is becoming the problem, and I think this is really where Jordan Peterson hit on something, is that societies can't organize around that, that it can sort of work for a while. And there's, you know, most of the things that I believe in, and I, you know, I, I talk about the individual all the time and why I believe that classical liberalism is the best sort of framework for a political system that we should have, um, they almost can't exist without that underlying bedrock. And so your question, sort of gets to what I was saying earlier, which is that the reason that the secular world feels so out of control right now, I mean, just, just yesterday, I'm sure some of you guys saw the CNN did this uh, equality town hall last night, and it was like, you know, everyone has to mention their gender pronouns, and you have to admit that there are more than two genders, and all of these things that we know these conversations are not being had. There are settled science debates that went on for a long time that we know, we know what facts are. And yet we find, because this has now become untethered to anything other than how you feel, uh, that now everything is up for grabs. And that's why it sort of feels like that there's something sort of godless happening here or, or something like that. Now, trust me, that is, a, that is a hard thing for someone like me to say. Uh, you know, as someone that really my, my beliefs really are rooted in the Enlightenment and the Enlightenment thinkers. Um, and this is a real debate amongst people who talk about the Enlightenment. Could they have done it? Could they have reformed religions and, and burst liberalism in a positive way forward without some religious belief behind it? I, I don't know the answer to that exactly. I don't know that we'll ever really know the answer to that. Um, but I would say that the reason I first said that I'm happy to be here with you guys is that in the last year, where now I virtually only get invited to events by conservative groups 
or you know, libertarian groups for sure, but groups on the right, let's say. But I often get invited to churches. I right. often get invited to places of faith. Now, I know we can go through a litany of political disagreements that we may or may not have, and I absolutely know that everyone in this room would be happy to do that. And there would be nobody fighting, there would be nobody screaming, we could explore those ideas as far as we can, and then we would put it down and, and either agree to disagree or maybe, yeah. maybe we'd move each other one way or another and, and that would be wonderful. Um, and I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that you guys here uh, and that generally believers right now are more tolerant. They are, it's just the reality. The, the people, yeah. Give yourselves a round of applause. That's, I mean, that really is true. Who, who are the most intolerant people in society right now? It's the people that are constantly telling you how tolerant they are. That's the, that's the irony. It's the people that tell you you're a bunch of racists and bigots and homophobes and the rest of it. And, and that's the real bizarre flip that we have happening in society. And I think that is linked to either, a, however you want to phrase it, either a, a post-Christian world or yeah. a post-Judeo-Christian world or, or a post-modern world, however you want to define that. I mean, to what extent do you agree with Dave's analysis there of what's going on, especially, I suppose, at that academic level and uh, in terms of the, the, the kind of conversations now that you are and aren't allowed to have almost uh, when it comes to these issues? Uh, I think it's a pretty accurate analysis. And that's what I experience out there. I'm always interested in the phrase, God's dead, because it seems to assume he was alive once. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, <laughs> I hear Richard Dawkins kind of saying, which God? And I think that's a question worth addressing because the God that I believe in, that is the God of the Bible, is eternal. And that raises problems for the deadness, doesn't it? Sure. But, <laughs> There's a sense in which Nietzsche was a very accurate prophet. And what, to my mind, is very important with him was that he could see, where many contemporary atheists cannot see, that if you abolish God, you wipe the ground under any solidity on which you can base a morality, human dignity, freedom, all those values. He saw that connection. And he said, if you get rid of God, you've no right in the end to values. And you notice where the values are real out in our society, they're mostly values that go back to the Judeo-Christian tradition. And I think, therefore, to bring that back into the discussion, I like the idea, and I think it's very important start where there's something more. There's something outside of us. That's the start, it seems to me, of coming back to something around which society can be organized, because otherwise everything is subjective. And you mentioned postmodern, and it amuses me that so many, but it's sad that so many of these people will tell you as an absolute truth that there is no truth. And that's just sheer nonsense. <laughs> yeah, because it's a contradiction in terms. Yes. I, I mean, you, you obviously spend quite a lot of time speaking, especially to actually a lot of young people. Yes, I do. Many of the events you do, John. Do, do you find that there's a kind of, people are looking again for a source of meaning, for something to hold on to? Absolutely. I think that, well, we, it's, it's country specific because there are parts of the world, of course, in, where, for example, Christianity is growing like wildfire. But in the UK and in the US, I find that young people find the world that is presented to them by people like the old new atheists or the naturalistic philosophy is too small to live in. It doesn't give them any kind of solid foundation, so they're looking again. And just, what, last week I spoke to Central Hall, Westminster, 1,500 young people, starting at the age of 13 to 18. Absolutely fascinating, spending a whole day thinking about these big ideas. That I find enormously encouraging, when yeah. young folks start asking these questions. And I find a huge response around the world, but it's self-selecting. You know, it's very difficult for me to yeah. give a global and fair assessment.
Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Anti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. That's premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. Thank you. I mean, it strikes me, Dave, that you did this 100 City Tour with Jordan Peterson, and it strikes me that the crowds that have flocked to hear him talk about meaning in a meaningful way have been quite young. The kind of crowd that you kind of might have expected more to be turning out to hear the Sam Harris's and the Christopher Hitchens and, and, uh, and Richard Dawkins and so on. What, what, what's changed? Why, 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 in a sense, has the conversation moved on from, well, we all know God's dead to, well, what's going to happen next, I suppose? Well, it's really interesting because if you were paying attention to the, the media around Jordan during the year, the implication somehow, or the condemnation, I should say, from the media was that somehow this was for young, uh, straight white men that he's only talking to straight white men, as if inherently that's somehow an evil thing, right? <laughs> so that was the idea that he's, somehow these really broken straight white men are showing up to his events and that's somehow inherently evil. Now, of course, that's absurd. If it, Let's say he was talking to all straight young white men. If he, if he happened to have been giving them something positive that could put a little order in their life away from the chaos, as he would put it, that, that would actually be a wonderful thing. Of course, the irony is that that actually wasn't even true at all because the crowds were wonderfully diverse and I usually thought they were about 60, 40 male to female and age ranged all over the place and all that. Um, but to answer your question specifically, I think that we got, as politics and the media and social media and the fact that we're all walking around with a phone in our pocket that has the world's knowledge and you can connect with somebody you know, literally across the world in a split second, I think we have no idea how this information um, orgy, basically, yeah. I think we have no idea how it's affecting our brains, our ability to think clearly about things. It's doing wondrous things, right? We're all here because of this. This is a podcast, right? We're, we're disseminating this through the digital world. This is incredible. But it also has destabilized sort of basic beliefs. And I think then Jordan stepped in and said, we have to be able to get some meaning out of this. So that's why he wrote 12 rules. He thought these are 12 rules in a modern sense. He wasn't handing down the Ten Commandments again, but he was saying in a modern sense, these are 12 things you can do. Stand up straight with your, shoulder back, with your shoulders back. Clean your room. Clean your room before you clean the world. Uh, these are basic things where now we have people that want to fix the world constantly that, that can't fix themselves. They're doing it backwards. Um, but, but just very briefly on the, the underpinning, of, of some sort of belief that can lead to freedom. Uh, and that's what, sort of what I was talking about, about mm. the Enlightenment. Think about you know, the, the, the founding documents of this country, I think are the greatest man-written man documents, let's say, political documents at least. And what did the founders say? They said these are God-given rights. They're self-evident. We did not give you these rights the right of freedom and of free speech and all things. We can protect these things, but we didn't give them to you because they came from somewhere else. That is so deeply important and, and in many ways very unique to America. And that's why there's such a bizarre assault on freedom of speech right now and on, and on actually almost everything in the Bill of Rights. And it comes mostly from the secular world. That, that is a really sad Ooh. twist that truly I, I would not have expected a couple of years ago. Yeah. E even as someone that saw this coming. I mean, right. you know, five years ago, I was waving the, the, the flag going, guys, there's something happening here on the left, this progressive thing, this is no good. Uh, but even it's gotten so crazy yeah. that, that I'm 
still a little surprised myself. To, to some extent, it's almost as though the, the, the meaning crisis has almost created this vacuum, and people are finding all kinds of crazy things to, to Oh yeah, they're, they're looking anywhere. You can look, to, you can play video games all day, you can, you can do whatever it is to fill up Ooh. that hole, yeah. if, if yeah. it's an existential hole or a hole in belief or, or whatever it is. But there's a, lot, there's a lot of ways to fill that hole. I think Jordan, Jordan in, in my opinion, has given the best set of, of beliefs that take from a religious tradition and blend I, what I would say are enlightenment values or basically secular values, Judeo-Christian values, and he's blended them in the most um, effective way. I mean, as we're on the subject talking about Jordan Peterson, I, I know that you're somewhat familiar with some of what he's been doing as well, John. What, what's your take on what he's put his finger on that obviously so many people are responding to? And, and yeah, what, what, how does it relate, in your view, to, to the Christian faith that you hold? I think people are longing for sense. And you mentioned connectedness. That has almost replaced meaning, but it's not real connectedness. And I was reading a book on artificial intelligence just recently, and it was a warning that people will die if they're not connected to the internet because all the meaning is being placed there. And I think what Jordan Peterson is doing is putting a nuclear bomb in the middle of that and saying this is not good enough. You've got to get outside of that. And you're right, it is rewiring brains. The, the psychologists tell us it's messing people's brains up, especially if they try and use two machines at once. And therefore, I just think that there's an underlying, and from where I sit, people are looking for this because, although they often don't believe it, or even have never heard of it, they are made in the image of God. They're beings who've got eternity in their hearts. And a kind of materialist universe without meaning just won't satisfy them because they're actually made for something bigger. And as C.S. Lewis put it years ago, if, if you find a longing in you that's not satisfied in this world, maybe there is another world in which it could be satisfied. And you can apply that to the world of ideas. So I really think he's hit a nerve. And, and interestingly, if you read his book, 12 Rules for Life, and he's done a number yes, of lectures, mm -hmm. there's, he's drawing a great deal on the Bible, especially the Old Testament. Oh, sure. Yeah. He is, especially the Old Testament. And it has intrigued me that he has concentrated in his lectures on the Bible on the Old Testament. Now, that to me resonates completely because I, as a Christian, have been for years trying to communicate to people that they've got to begin to take the Jewish scriptures seriously because there you've got the foundation, the foundation story. And people are looking for a story that's big enough to fit their lives into. And there's the start of the big story, creation. Human beings made in the image of God. And what that means for their dignity and their freedom and everything else. If we just get that one fact, I remember in Siberia, where I used to go quite a bit, and I gave the first lecture in 75 years on these issues in the University of Novosibirsk. And I made the point, I said, just think of the one statement, human beings made in the image of God. And I said, if I believed that, I wouldn't murder one of you, let alone the hundred million that Stalin did, and it absolutely erupted the place. Of course, they'd never heard it before. It was totally new to them. And I think our society needs to hear these truths, and Jordan Peterson is moving into that area because he's actually going back to the book and not being ashamed of it. And more power to him, I say. And, yeah, and just very briefly, just from, from being on tour with Jordan, I, I told you this backstage, but I never 
saw the guy break one of the 12 rules. I mean, try to imagine how chaotic his life was in the course of this becoming a massive star, traveling all over the world, the book sales, the celebrity, the entire thing, and he never broke one, one of those 12 rules. Uh, just 20 seconds, we were, at a, we were at a dinner party at Douglas Murray's house with Maja Nuaz and, and Jordan, you may know those guys, and one of the rules is that if you see a pet, uh, if you see a cat in the street, you should pet it, and Douglas had a cat, and, <laughs> We're there for about three or four hours, we're having dinner, we're having a great time, and I'm looking at the cat the whole time, and I'm looking at Jordan, I'm going, the guy hasn't pet the cat, like, <laughs> you know, what am I on tour with this guy for? Like, is the whole thing, is, it, is he a fraud? You know, what's going on here? I swear to God, I was thinking it the entire time, and then as we were walking out the door, Jordan literally, and you can sort of picture Jordan, he's, he's very tall, and, and he has long limbs, and he's, he's slender, and he basically sat down in the cat's bed with the cat, and, and stroke the cat wow. for, for a good five minutes. And I thought, all right, he's the real deal. We, we should probably talk about someone other than Jordan Peterson tonight. <laughs> the, I mean, I, I, I'd love to key in a little bit more on your story, sure. Dave, because it sounds like you have been on something of a, uh, a journey of discovery over the last year or two, and obviously very much influenced by, by the way Jordan has brought that alive in his lectures and so on. So. I mean, you, you obviously now are seeing more and more the value of religion. What, what has that caused you personally to do in terms of maybe, is it causing you to rediscover your own Jewish roots a bit more and, and the, the religious aspect of that? Well, I would say there's two things here, as I said at the beginning. There's sort of the, just the cultural affinity and the understanding of the history of the people that came before me, which, you know, unfortunately in the case of the Jews is a, is a pretty brutal, uh, often almost unimaginably horrific history. Um, and I, you know, I grew up around Holocaust survivors and, and, I, and I know that. That though, the, the pain of your ancestors or whatever the, the history of your people is can't be the thing that defines you going forward. I would say as I've sat down with believers and non-believers alike, I've genuinely found, well, I guess sort of this would get to what you were saying, John. I've genuinely found the believers not only more welcoming, so like in a, in a situation like this, but more, more open, actually happier, less, less dependent on things outside of themselves, more self-reliant, let's say. Um, so I don't think that means I'm going to be religious per se tomorrow. That being said, as I said, I went to this Yom Kippur service that Dennis Prager hosted, and I found it incredibly moving. Um, and you know, Dennis gave a sermon that you know he talked all about Judeo-Christian values and sort of what's happening in our country right now and how it all seems to be becoming untethered. And he used some religious backing to to give some value there. And I thought, well, this is value. This is something, a real-world way that I could come somewhere once a week or build some community around or friends um, that would have value. So I can't say I'm, you know, it's like if, if ultimately I can see in your eye, you want me to be like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, let's go. Um, <laughs> I can see it. There's a guy back there waving a Jesus sign at me. All right, I see you. Um, <laughs> well, if you insist. Yeah. Um, Let's put it this way, I have no problem with Jesus. I like the guy. I, you know what I mean? Like the, the message of Jesus, the, all of the things that we've talked about here on stage and backstage, I, I love these ideas. I think that if, if my life becomes a continuing conversation about these things and I can incorporate the best parts of that to be a better person, well, I'll tell you this, I, I know for a fact I am a better person today than I was before I started this journey with Jordan. That those things, and that doesn't mean I prescribe to the church of Jordan Peterson. <laughs> that is just that this guy who has communicated the, the bedrock ideas uh, that we're talking about here, um, by, by me listening to that and hearing that and incorporating some of that in my life, I'm a better person. So that, ha that means something, yeah. you, you, know, yeah. you know what I mean? Any comments on, on Dave's journey so far? I feel like this is my life. <laughs> you're, you're on the right. psychiatrist's yeah. couch tonight. <laughs> well, I think what struck me just listening was you're being moved by Yom Kippur. I'm not Jewish by background, but I owe everything to a Jew. 
and the history of the Jews has been enormously important to me. And when you mention the Holocaust, as you do, and I've been in Auschwitz many times, and I've wept every time, and I have many Jewish friends who lost everybody, and that raises huge, deep existential questions. And therefore, just thinking of the, of the big picture, the big biblical story, and I love it because although there are all sorts of twists and turns and difficulties, I see the Jewish history, the history of Israel, the law, the prophets, as pointing towards something big. Because at the heart of Judaism, and I have many Orthodox friends who still expect Hamashiach, the Messiah, to come. Now, the difference is that I believe he has come. And Yom Kippur means a huge amount to me because in those Jewish festivals, and I've been at many of them, I see, I don't want to put it crudely, but a thought model that has been fulfilled in what Jesus did. And I find Yom Kippur moving because I see in him the fulfillment of it and here is a person who actually died the day of atonement. It's an atonement to deal with. Now here comes the point, that what happens when you start with a creation story and people made in the image of God, that's wonderful. But we know that something has happened. A bomb has hit the human race. And there are huge problems. And we long for a solution. We long for justice, we long for true freedom, we long for true values. And we've got to therefore face the problem of human rebellion against God. Now the sin word is not popular these days, but it seems to me that there's a fulfillment within what Jesus did and taught, a fulfillment that everything that Judaism stood for and stands for powerfully. And therefore, I, I feel a close affinity here. The, the whole Judeo tradition is immensely important to me because there I find these fundamental values. But they raise a big question. And it's the fulfillment of that. The whole history of Israel, its sacrifices, the institutions, the prophets looking forward to Messiah who will deal with the basic problem of human rebellion. And, and so that's clearly a difference between me and Judaism, but I wouldn't underemphasize the huge contribution that it has made to the rock on which I believe I stand today, if that makes sense. It, well, it does make sense, and if I could quickly, I, I actually do want to answer your question a little more specifically yeah. now yeah. that I, I had a moment to, to think it through. Uh, so this year I, I went, my parents live in, in New York, still in the same family home that I grew up in, um, and I went to a temple on Rosh Hashanah, and Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the new year, and it's, a, it's about creation, and then basically you have the week or so between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur where you're supposed to think about your life, the things that you've done, the good things that you've done, the bad things you've done, apologize to people if you've done, you know, whoever you may have done harm. And I, I really did, so this is, this is the real answer to your question, I really did that this year. I really did think about it. Mm -hmm. Probably didn't fully uh, get there on Twitter throughout the week. I probably <laughs> did drop the ball a couple times on Twitter. But I, but I really was very aware of that. And, and I tried, you know, just a few days ago at, at services, I really was trying to be cognizant of, it doesn't necessarily matter if I believe in all of this, all of it, fully. But there is value in this, this story that has been told by my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents going way back when. There must have been something that kept this thing alive and there must have been some reason behind it. And for me to pretend that I'm so enlightened that I have figured out something that is so brilliant that I could, that I could just set all that aside, that it, to me that strikes me as the worst sort of like egomaniacal hubris that you could have. So I would be happy to do this again next year and we can continue the conversation. The Jesus guy's still waving at me back there. But, you know. <laughs>
I, I, I'm finding this fascinating because obviously there has been something of a, of a spiritual awakening. And, and I think, you know, it sounds like you're saying you, I'm not quite sure what that looks like exactly, but I want to start to investigate and live into this kind of tradition more that obviously your, your forebears have, have done so. Um, I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people out there, you know, who would say, come on, wake up, it's the 21st century. Uh, we all know that these are just superstitions and, and everything else. And well, you need to get on the, the bandwagon of reason. You're about reason, Dave. Yeah. And, and if we just think straight, work things out with science and logic, then, then that's the, the way forward. That's the way hum we, religion is kind of the way we used to do things, not anymore. Yeah, well, I think the counter to that would be that everything that Jordan has talked about, not, not to bring this back to Jordan, but the counter of that is that, well, look sort of where the secular world is at, where we can't figure out whether you're male or female anymore. We have to now debate that. I, you know, I don't, it's sort of like, I don't like using that one because it's so easy and it sounds sort of, sort of glib and I don't mean it to be that way, but that is where this is all leading. If there is nothing outside of ourselves, then John, as you said, everything else is subjective and we will debate every little thing, debate, depending on how we feel about it on any given day, and that, that will lead, there is a, there's a reason why right now the idea of socialism is suddenly popping up in America, which is the, the wor genuinely the worst set of collectivist ideas that you could possibly ever have that hundreds of millions of people have died in history mm -hmm. under. And it's popping up because if you listen to what's happening on the left right now, politically, because they've outsourced God. Imagine if one of those people on stage said that they were a real believer. Imagine if any of them, maybe Biden could do it, but, but, but really the rest of them can't. They would never really say that they're a believer. Now, I don't know what they are, and I wouldn't want them to say anything that's not true to themselves, um, but they would be mocked by, by everything mainstream. Everything mainstream would mock them. The way that everything mainstream mocks any Christian that happens, because they're usually on the right, they happen to be conservatives. But look what they're offering us now. Their, their, their answer is, okay, we've removed God from the equation, and what do we get? We get government. And they, they, they now pray basically to government. They think that they can figure out somehow by sitting in a room with a bunch of other politicians and bureaucrats, the worst sort of people that exist, they... <laughs> I didn't even mean that to be funny, but actually... I mean, but that's what they think. They think that they can rejigger all of humanity in a way that will be so much better than everything that came before them. And not only can't they, they are going to do the complete reverse. So that, if for no other reason, if for no revel grand revelation or something like that, that would be a reason to be respectful of people that are believers. Because they can fight that in a way that secularists can't. The good liberals don't have enough juice in and of, in and of themselves. They don't have enough juice to fight that. That's why liberalism has collapsed in the name of progressivism. Yeah, I, I approach this in two ways. The first one is your comment that secularism is collapsing. And one can analyze the defects in atheism and where it leads to and the millions of people that died in the last century. But coming over to the other side, what you're saying, Justin, you see, I am a scientist. And one of the fascinating things is that science is a direct legacy of the Judeo-Christian tradition. You were saying we're all scientists now and all this is, no, it is not. And Let's start absolutely basic. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hebrew Bible, written millennia ago, knew there was a beginning. It was in the early 60s before scientists caught up with that. <laughs> <laughs> and the Bible was right. And Dawkins said, well, there was a 50-50 chance when I debated him. <laughs> and I said, at least the Bible got it right. <laughs> but more seriously than that, you see, the fact that I'm a mathematician and interested in science, now just think about that. The fact that mathematics can describe what goes on in the universe is a matter of huge wonder. Einstein once said the only incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it is comprehensible. And he saw the problem. Why does it work? Well. It's not an incomprehensible thing if you start from the idea that there's an intelligent God 
who made us in his image. And therefore we can do science. And that's exactly what the early pioneers of modern science, starting with Galileo and Kepler and Newton and so on and so forth, they were all believers in God. And therefore, when I hear that kind of question, I'm not remotely ashamed of being a scientist and a Christian because I want to argue that it was Christianity gave me my subject. And C.S. Lewis put it brilliantly. <laughs> I'm glad you understood it in the end. C.S. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis said, men became scientific because they expected law in nature. And they expected law in nature because they believed in the lawgiver. And I think we're getting to the stage now where serious atheist thinkers are beginning to re-examine the kind of naturalism that reduces everything to physics and chemistry. And one of them lives in New York. His name is Thomas Nagel. And he's a brilliant philosopher. And he says something's going wrong because if everything is reducible to physics and chemistry, then so is your mind. But then why would you trust your mind? In other words, atheism, taken to its logical conclusion, undermines the very rationality you need to trust to do science. And I'm not in for accepting a worldview that undermines the foundations of any kind of argument or discussion whatsoever. So I think that in the 21st century, we can push back on that very naive notion that God's out. We do science now. No. Science actually brings God back in. It's, it's very interesting. I mean... All of, all of this leads me to, to want to ask you at this point, Dave. You, you're sitting down with John here tonight, obviously um, a Christian believer, uh, someone who gives evidences for God. And I know that on your show you've, you've had people like Bishop uh, uh, Barron and uh, I think uh, Ravi Zacharias is going to be featured shortly. Um, where does this leave you on, if you like, that God question? Because at one level I can absolutely see the way in which there's a kind of a utility and a kind of sense in which meaning, it, 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 we can get, gather meaning from doing the religious things, the rituals and so on. But at the end of the day, I know I asked this of Jordan Peterson once, and it was an interesting answer. Do you believe in God? Do you feel like that's where you've got to at this point in your life? You know, it's funny, when we would do the Q&As at the shows with Jordan, um, for the first few, we would let people come up to the microphone, and what usually happens is that people start telling their life story, and they, they would want to get a therapy session in front of 3,000 strangers, and it started getting very weird, so we decided, uh, we decided a better way, to, we used an app to do it, and, and when Jordan was on stage, basically, I would uh, go through the best ones, and I'd find some funny ones, and some serious ones, and, and everything else, but what always came up, no matter how many times Jordan answered it, was, do you believe in God? And he, as I'm sure he said, Said to you, he finds it to be sort of the most annoying question possible. <laughs> um, so I think I would answer it. I mean, I would answer it in a, in a similar way that Jordan would. That look, I think I've I've sort of laid out a, a set of beliefs here that show the utility of believing in something outside of myself, and I do I do believe in that. Mm. So if you want to call that God that there is something outside of me, there is something that is connecting all of us that has nothing to do with the material world. There is something that drives us, that, that is the driver of humanity, that is something good. Um, I believe that. I, I don't, I can't, yeah, I believe that. Thank you. Um, but, but, could you put a name on that something at this point? Oh. I, I told you I wanted to label you before yeah. the end of the evening. So. Uh, Jesus? <laughs> um, I, I guess, I, I mean, in a sense, the, the, I, I hear what you're saying. Do I get a cookie at least? I mean, come on, people, what are we doing here? I, I, guess, I guess it's kind of like, what are the particulars of what, what would that look like? How, how is that going to make a difference, I suppose, in your life? Is, is there a sort of sense in which you feel now any new obligations 
given this kind of new sense that there's, there is something beyond you. You know, I think we're all sort of wired differently, right? I think some people can really, um, can really flourish just sort of on, on their own set of ideas that they create in the world, and I think that can really work for some people. I think some people need some order outside of that. Some people need more of a community. Some people are real loners, all of those things. I think perhaps, but I, but I truly mean what I said before, I'd be happy to do this every year with you and continue, continue these conversations, and I'll continue them on my show, obviously. Um, I think for me, the, the adventure of discussing this and seeing what kind of people that I bring into my studio, that I interact with at events like this, what type of people I want to be around, that really is the proof. Mm -hmm. um, that that is what well, that's, that's what makes this right that's what makes this so i don't know so i again i get what you're i get yeah, yeah, the yeah. question i, I yeah. respect the question truly and it's and it's a it's the question right yeah. i mean it's like saying what's the meaning of life right yeah. it's that's yeah. the big one um i would say i'm on the adventure to finding that mm. out and I, and i'm really okay with that uh, you know i hope that doesn't sound um dismissive of the question or 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 um or like I'm trying to evade it. I'm, right. I'm really not. Um, I like be, and maybe this is just a function also of what I do for a living. I mean, I get to sit every week with people that in most cases are smarter than me, who have spent years working through all of these issues as you have, John. And that is an incredible privilege that I have. So I would like to see how far I can take that. It sounds like we're not gonna convert him tonight, John. <laughs> but, uh... You're doing your best. <laughs> yeah. You're working overtime over there, I'll tell you that much. But it's wonderful to hear an open description of a journey. And I try to think my way into this, that getting around these ideas is really big stuff. I mean, coming the way you've moved from the little I've understood of it, just meeting for the first time. It's most interesting to me, the way that movement is going. Now, from where I sit, there's another element comes into it. What I mean by that is this, there's the things that we can think about existentially, uh, as you're doing, and that's vastly important to me as well, the kind of people you like to be with, the, evidence of that, you like this, and you feel there's something outside yourself, and so on and so forth. But then it comes to a couple of questions. One is, could it be that that something is actually personal? Now, your Jewish um, Hebrew scriptures would say exactly so because that's how Bereshit Genesis starts, with a God who sees, who blesses, who speaks. And one of the most interesting things to me, both as a scientist and a believer in God, is the simple description of creation. And God said, let there be light. And God said, and God said, there's a sequence, as you know. But the most exciting one is the one you never hear. It's the final one. And God said to them. And that opens up a whole world of possibility. That what is being claimed at least is that there's a God that speaks to me. And that means that opens up the possibility of revelation. Where it's not simply me investigating the people I know, the things I hear, the arguments philosophically and so on. But there's another side to it. That if this is true, then God is interested in me and he's wanting me as a discussion partner. He's wanting to talk to me. And if one is open to that possibility, it seems to me to open a huge new dimension uh, to this. And the more I think about that, this is a word-based universe, scientifically and religiously, in that sense. And, and therefore, the idea that there's something there, that's fantastic. There's more than the material world, but if that more is personal and can speak to us, 
it's worth testing the claim at least because it runs right through the whole of the Hebrew scriptures of the New Testament. That's the fundamental thing. He's a speaking God, not dead. I, we, I should say, I mean, we normally never on, on my show get to this point because most of the time the person sitting opposite someone like John is a confirmed atheist and, and it's really... God is always going to be debated in the abstract. John, John, you kind of come to the point where saying, well, let's look at whether God could be personal, yes. whether, whether God could speak to us. Again, I feel like we're grilling you uh, really, <laughs> tonight. Though, but I guess... No, it's fine. My, it's interesting. My, my, I mean, I, I genuinely, I love this. There's nothing you could ask me, I don't think, that would, that would offend well, I, me or... I really, I'm grateful for you being an open book tonight because I suppose my next question is simply... Could, could it be? Could, do you think that it's, it's possible that there could be a God who is personally interested in you, who listens to your prayers, who is interested in the way you live your life, who wants the best for you? You know, is that something that's on the table as a possibility for where your journey might take you, I suppose? If he walks out on stage right now, I will get baptized tomorrow, okay? <laughs> like, if this is like a, like a, you know, Maury Povich, and here he is, everybody! Um, Yes. Well, my, my basic answer would be yes. I, why, would I, why would I rule that out? Why, why would I rule that out? Why, why, as you said that so eloquently, would I be like, no. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it, it just, that just doesn't stand to reason. And that, mm -hmm. that, again, goes back to why I said I love having these conversations. And I don't, I don't even though this is a little different for what you do usually, uh, I don't take offense by it or anything like that. Like that. That's interesting to me. That, and by the way, I think that this is sort of where, um, where Jews maybe have done something a little bit differently, where it always has been about this sort of battle about what God is. Mm -hmm. there, you know, you talk about science and mathematics, you can go to most of the, like, the, the, the Jewish hospitals in New York City where they have you know, the best doctors in the entire world. Many of them are Orthodox Jews who actually won't press the elevator on Shabbat because they don't want to use electricity on Shabbat, so they have, the, they have the elevators that go to every floor on Saturdays. Now, from an outsider perspective, if you weren't really thinking about it, that you'd go, well, that's completely crazy. How are these people of science and math, uh, doctors, how, why would they possibly care in this, in this crazy superstition if, if, if you come from that discipline of science and math? And yet they, those people don't find it to be in conflict. So I, I don't see any of this in conflict, actually. If anything, I feel like this is really what it's about, this, this ability to, to play, because I know that there are plenty of you guys out there that are at some level of where I'm at with some of this stuff. It's not like everyone that walks in these doors is going, this is absolutely what I believe and we Ooh. believe the same thing, and I want to convert everybody to believing the same thing I do. I just, I don't believe that. I'm not going to poll you, don't worry. Um, <laughs> but but I, I know that's true. And, and we're all on those journeys together. Yes, so, I, so of course, I don't dismiss, could God be a, a personal, you know, do we, all have, do we all have that piece of us behind us that, that knows what's right? When, when, you, when you make a bad choice in life, you have those, well, I shouldn't have that drink or I shouldn't do this or whatever it is. I don't know, is that a personal relationship with God when you have that other thing? Or some would say, is that just the voice in your head? What is that, what is that thing? I mean, philosophers have been debating this forever. Look. I think that's a really great place just to, to draw this part of the conversation to a close. So Thank go, God. Go, go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Let, let's Literally, I mean that. To, to John and Dave. <laughs>